eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Ken Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, University of Washington Huskies take on the Montana Grizzlies. Five o'clock or what? Five ten kickoffs, probably somewhere around in there. And uh, opening game, first game with fans available in Husky Stadium, which is going to be interesting to see how many people actually show up. I know that ticket sales were a little light and they were doing some things on uh, ticket giveaways, but we will see who shows up there. But uh Return of the former defensive back coach at University of Washington, Bobby Houck, his second stint at University of Montana. But has uh, Bobby's coached here before, hasn't he, Chris? Hasn't he brought a team in here? Uh, I don't know because in 2017, when the, that's the last time Montana came to Seattle, uh, he was not the coach. Bob Stitt was the coach. He was down at UNLV. So right. that's remember he came back to Montana after leaving. So um, I don't know if he's ever – I don't know if he has. I don't think he has. It's interesting because, you know, I don't know if you guys listened to it, but I talked to the beat writer for Montana, Frank Ogola, and with Bobby leaving Montana after a lot of success and that family being deeply entrenched in Montana football, the Hauk family, that is, him leaving for UNLV, then he was a coach at San Diego, and then he was rehired at Montana. I asked if there was some animosity or maybe hurt feelings that he left and come back and how he was being received by Montana fans and alumni. I was kind of surprised. They, they love Bobby Houck back there, Chris. I mean, they love Bobby Houck. Yeah. I mean, he, he did a good job the first time around. No, I mean, that's the reason he got uh, interest and ended up at UNLV. I mean, he was attracting some higher profile gigs. So obviously he was doing a really good job in Montana and, he wants to bring a national championship back to Missoula. That's his stated goal. Um, listening to your conversation with Frank Agola, which I thought was really good, um, he's made no bones about that. So, and then if, if you know, what's interesting is if people don't remember, obviously Washington's uh, 2020 season was really curtailed to four games. Well, the Big Sky decided to opt out of 2020 altogether and play their Big Sky season if you will in the spring of this past this past spring and they only got two games so the irony here is that they actually played less games than Washington they also played both their games at home so neither one of these teams has played an away game in forever um I think it's been over 600 days for Washington I don't know what it's been for Montana but 
you know, bottom line is Bobby Houck is back and he, he wants to bring a national championship to Missoula. They've tasted that success before and they beat the two teams that they played. They played Central Washington. They played Portland State, beat them by a combined score of 107 to 10. So that'll tell you a little bit about what they're thinking in terms of trying to get out and, um, you know, make a statement in the big sky in 2021. And the big sky's already made a statement, uh, so far this season, guys. Yeah. Uh, UC Davis went and beat Tulsa and Eastern Washington beat UNLV in overtime. So, you know, I, I expect Washington to win this game pretty handily, but I think Montana is going to have a point to prove and they they might score some points here. Well, getting back to Bobby Houck, I thought it was uh, kind of crazy when I looked down at the roster and I see one of the team captains and all-conference candidates is Robbie Houck, Bobby's son. And that just makes me feel old because I think he was maybe one or maybe not even born back in the day when Bobby was here when we were covering the team. But um, Bobby's got a, a son on the team, Robbie Houck, and he's not real big, but, uh, you know, just like his dad and just like his uncle. He'll throw a slobber knocker on you, but it'll be interesting to watch uh, Robbie Houck. Scott, there's some – I'm sure you've had a chance to glance at the roster, but there's a few guys from the state of Washington on that roster. Yeah, um, I wish you would have told me you were going to ask me that question because I have looked at the roster, but I don't remember all of the all of the names. But, yes, Montana has always uh, recruited – um, well, out of the state of Washington, they've had a lot of coaches with connections here. Um, one is the wide receiver from the former wide receiver from, um, uh, Woodenville. I know that it was, yeah, that was a really, really good wide receiver, um, and defensive back. And he went out there. He's having some success out there. They've always recruited at least one or two linemen from the state of Washington and, and really done a good job of developing them and getting the most out of them. Um, I know that, uh, uh, Sermon, Camden Sermon went there, uh, you know, after, after high school and, and was there and, and, uh, you know, they've, they've just recruited this state really well. They have several coaches with connections in the state and that's why they recruit this state so well. Hey, guys, uh, the backup court, the backup quarterback, is it from Auburn Riverside? Was it Gavin Robertson? No, Kim, I can, I can run down the Washington kids for you. It starts with Cam Humphrey. Who's the quarterback? He's going to be a starting quarterback from Issaquah. Gavin Robertson, who you're talking about, is actually a safety defensive back right. from Auburn Mountain View. He was pretty highly recruited as well. Um, the kid you're talking about, Scott, in the front from Woodenville is Nash Fouch. Yep. Who played receiver, played both ways, obviously, for Woodenville, but he's playing defensive back safety for the Grizzlies. And then after that, you're looking at guys like Corbin Walker, who's a defensive back who played at uh, Hazen. In Renton, um, you're looking at Cole Grossman, uh, tight end, redshirt freshman from Skyview High School in Vancouver, and you know just keep rolling down the list here. This is this is really good radio, guys, as as you are listening <laughs> to it right now. Yeah. Obviously, a ton of guys from Montana, ton of guys from Montana. Yep. Um, Michael Matthews from Camus. Obviously, Camus is a really good program. Uh, linebacker. 6'2", 215 or so. Um, so he's going to be there as well. Um, and then, yeah, they've got Cody Canoose. We all remember Cody Canoose from Gig Harbor Peninsula High School. He was a guy that Washington kind of took a look at late in his recruitment. Uh, another offensive lineman from Skyview, Vancouver, uh, Skylar Martin, is also there, 6'5", 302 pounds he's listed as. So, yeah, they have a couple of offensive linemen for sure. And um, then they have another tight end 
from down south again in the Vancouver area, Hawkinson High School, uh, Peyton Brammer, 6'5", 220. And then they also have uh, a defensive end, Jacob McGoran from Cheney, who's 6'5", 265, pretty good-sized kid. So that's th- those are all the Washington kids that are listed on the official roster. And when you take a look at this game, I think, you know, one of the big things that just really jumps out at everybody is the size of Washington's offensive line versus the size of the defensive line for Montana. Because even, you know, as Frank Gogola said, by big sky standards, it's an undersized defensive line. So you've got to figure that Washington will be able to run the ball pretty much at will, which is why I think they're going to come out and throw the ball, Scott. Okay, well, I think they're going to run, and I think they're going to run some more, and I think they're going to run even more than that, especially. But you know, but you know why I think they're going to throw the ball? Why? To open up the run against Michigan, because I think that there's a lot in this game plan that's going to uh, be done to show or not show things to, set to Michigan. Set up the game. I, I, you know, I, I think the coaches just want to win the game and you know get off to a good start and a positive start and everything like that. I think they're going to do everything they can to, you know, just honestly, I think their goal is probably, and I know um, Softy asked Jimmy Lake this question during his show on what it was Wednesday for the coaches show said, is his goal to get a, get out to a good enough lead that eventually he, um, you know, is able to empty his bench and, Jimmy said, I just want to win the game. And I think that's true. I think they want to win the game. They need to make sure they win the game. And I think they're going to run the ball as much as they can. I see yeah. 50 runs tomorrow. Yeah, we'll see. I, I I just want to see Dylan Morris be able to air the ball out and give Michigan something to prepare for. Because I think if they can open up that passing game, it's going to soften up the defense uh, for Michigan to be able to run the ball more effectively. So, um you know, we will see. But, you know, Chris, you just take a look at the size of the offensive line of Washington and then the lack of size for, for um, Montana. It, get, uh, it gets a little scary because of the size and then the stable of running backs that Washington does have. Well, yeah, and, and, and Montana is going to play that 3-3-5 stack type defense that Rocky Long, um, you know, really has done a good job at, like at San Diego State and then um, – I can't remember who was the defensive uh, coordinator at Oregon, but he was at Michigan as well, and he's like a disciple of Long. He, they've all kind of done that three-three-five stacks type stuff. And so, if you look at the three guys that are on that defensive line, they're gonna. I think they're one of them's two thirty, the other one's gonna be two forty, and then the the nose is basically like two ninety. Um, so yeah, so they're they're gonna they're not gonna they're not gonna you know size you to death. They're not gonna try to go strength on strength, but they are gonna try to beat you with quicks. They're going to try to blitz you. They're going to try to get after you in, in different ways. They're going to try to come at you from different angles. And so they'll try a bunch of different stuff. And I think this will be a great test for a Washington offensive line that needs to improve in the pass protection area of things. Yes, they can maul smaller fronts and, and, and they'll run the ball and they should have success. If they don't have success right away, they should eventually be able to, to, to bridge that dam because you know, over time we've seen it's kind of like Novocaine. You know, it, it, it's effective. It may creep up on you a little bit, but it'll eventually get you there. And so uh, I do expect a balanced attack, too, as much as possible. I honestly do, because I think a balanced attack is the one that's going to give the most fits to the next opponent, because you're, you're not going to be able to tell you whether or not they're going to throw or run. 
Scott, when uh, we take a look at the offense, what are you going to specifically be looking for? Is there something that you're going to be keying in on that you really want to see how it's developed on the practices we haven't been able to see? Well, I, I want to see a little bit of the route running, the route combinations uh, in the passing game. But realistically, I want to see how the receivers are blocking for the running backs and because all big plays, and every coach will tell you this, that all big plays in the running game come when the wide receivers are doing their their job blocking on the outside, but also down the field. And and I think Junior Adams feels pretty confident about the way that his wide receivers are blocking and that their toughness and what they're doing. So I think you're going to see um, a lot more of, of, you know, as far as the running game. And I think a lot of it's going to be a keyed on how the wide receivers do. So mostly I'm going to be watching the wide receivers and what they end up doing. Give me two guys that you're going to maybe focus on a little bit that uh, you kind of got on the top of your head that you're really intrigued with, real interested in, and just really wanting to see something out of. Uh, Julius Bulow at uh, uh, left guard, and um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Sawyer Racanelli is used. You know, what what are they going to do with him? Are they going to put him in the slot? Are they going to put him outside? Is he going to see more throws go, come his way? Giles Jackson. Jalen Polk, those are all guys I'm I'm really interested to keep an eye on. But Sawyer Racanelli is a guy I really want to see how they use him, how much opportunity he's going to get because he's a smart football player. He's got great hands. He's big. He's physical. He can block. He can do pretty much everything you need him to do. He doesn't have the elite top-end deep speed, but he's got sneaky speed. I think he's faster than a lot of people give him credit for. So that's a guy that I'm looking forward to watching finally get into a game because he was about ready to get into a game last year and then COVID hit and Washington wasn't able to finish their season. So it's going to be interesting to see him him out there uh, today. Chris, give me two guys on offense that you're really kind of – maybe got circled on your roster that you really want to keep an eye on tomorrow. I mean, Sat, what day is it today? I don't even know. Uh, it would be game day, Kim. Okay. Maybe that's the easiest way to think of it. There we go. Yeah. Give me a guy, um, give me a guy that you got circled on your roster, Chris. Yeah. Um, I, I would say I would agree with Bulow and just in terms of him being kind of a late move midway through camp to see how he does. But the two guys that I would really focus on and I'm, kind of on the same wavelength with Scott in terms of kind of that next group of receivers. I'm trying to see how the, how those guys are going to react. And I'm still super enamored with Taj Davis and what he did at the last public scrimmage that we saw. Absolutely cut the defense up. You know, 13 catches for nearly 200 yards by my unofficial stats. So I know Scott uh, went with Sawyer. I'm kind of curious on how they're going to use Taj Davis and kind of curious to see how he steps up and, and whether or not he was able to build off that performance because we obviously haven't seen him since. And the other guys I would, I would think about are, are also kind of the next group after, uh, Kate Otten and Jack West over at tight end. You know, what about Devin Culp? What about Mark Redman? What about Quentin Moore? Um, you know, those three guys right off the top could be difference makers, uh, because no one's really seen much of them yet in terms of what they're capable of doing. So I'm kind of looking forward to see which one of those guys really emerges as kind of that legitimate third tight end, because I think Otten obviously has solidified himself All-American. And then Jack Westover, I think he's just continued to get better and better and better, is the clear number two guy. Um, so those are the those are the kind of the two positions I'm looking forward to in tight end and, and receiver. Yeah, and a couple guys that I'm really looking forward to seeing – I just don't think I have seen 
what Cam Davis can really do because I think he had everybody's talking about him being special, but I don't think that they've really we haven't really been able to see it. And I'm really intrigued to see if Cam Davis um, comes out and shows those special qualities that we've heard about, especially catching the balls out of the backfield. And I don't know if it's an offensive guy or not, but uh, the one guy that I think is just electric is uh, uh, Trent McDuffie returning punts. So I'm really intrigued to see what Trent does back there returning kicks. And I think uh, they're going to get plenty of opportunities to return punts, but I think that Trent might get a couple of opportunities and then you may see uh, Giles Jackson back there. So uh, that's kind of what I'm intrigued to look at. But Scott, when you take a look at this offense and uh, John Donovan, I don't think we've had a really good opportunity to see indeed what it really is. But again, I talked about Cam Davis coming out of the backfield and I think you're going to see some more throws to the backs and then maybe some attempts on the deep throws and just talk a little bit about the way that Dylan Morris from what we saw in spring and fall ball with that deep ball, just being able to get a little bit more air under it. Yeah. And well, I think a lot of it comes down to the timing with his wide receivers and him being able to judge their, their speed a little bit better and how they go, how they like passes thrown their way and what they do best with. And, you know, throwing the deep ball is always about repetition, 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 where the quarterback gets a feeling and timing down and, and when to throw it uh, up to the guy and, and knowing what his speed is going to be to run under it. And um, I think you're going to see at least one or two deep balls and hopefully Washington can connect on them and maybe allay some of the fears of Husky fans who think that everything is static and that if Dylan Morris sucked at the deep ball last year, then he's going to suck at it this year. So, you know, the things change, guys get better, and we saw a much better performance out of Dylan Morris. And I wouldn't say in the spring as much, but definitely in the fall camp, when he was hitting guys on deep routes quite a bit. So, um, yeah, I think that's what you're going to, going to see is I think you're going to see a couple deep balls. I think you will see some dump downs to the backs. They threw a lot to the backs last year though. So, um, I think the wide receiver or the wide receivers are a key to opening things up for the running game, but then the running backs also are a weapon in John Donovan's offense that he wants to use as runners, but also as receivers. Hey, Chris, when um, you take a look at this offense, I think one of the weapons that I'm also intrigued on in looking at is, you know, when Jadon Mickens was here, they used the fly sweep quite a bit. I thought that they would use it a lot more with Chico McClatcher. They didn't, but they've got the perfect guy to run that fly sweep in Giles Jackson. Talk a little bit about what we can expect to see out of Giles Jackson. Well, I think first and foremost, he's a, he's a great kick returner, and so I would be shocked if they didn't use him a lot in terms of their main kick being kick returner. Um, in terms of him in utilizing it, in terms of the fly sweep and, and stuff like that, you know, with the three three five stack, they're going to try to, you know, bring edge stuff. They're going to try to pressure you. They're going to try to get upfield. I don't know if this is going to be the game where you're going to see a lot of fly motion or things like that. You could. Um, but I'm wondering if you, you might see situations where maybe they try more receiver screens or just screen game in general to try to, you know, subdue that, that upfield rush a little bit. And there's, there's no doubt that when you talk about a, like a tunnel screen or, or those types of things, a guy like Giles Jackson, once he gets the ball in his hands, he's dangerous in the open field. And so if you can give him a little bit of green grass, he's going to be a guy that can explode and get a field and make a big play for you, get yards after the catch. So there's no doubt that, that he offers a kind of a Chico like, 
element to Washington's offense, like the way they currently run it. I'm just wondering how much you're going to see that uh, today. Scott, looking at the depth chart, the backup quarterback is listed as an or with Patrick O'Brien or Sam Heward. And last time we saw practice um, or the scrimmage, Patrick O'Brien looked like he had his hand wrapped. Don't know if he's going to be available today, but uh, when we're talking, uh, you know, if the game gets out of hand, I think it's going to be pretty clear they're going to want to get a backup quarterback in there. If Patrick O'Brien is healthy, do we see Sam Heward today? Yes. I think Washington wants to get him some reps. I I mean, that's that's the easy answer. And I, I said it in my prediction on Friday that, you know, I that Washington wants to get Sam Heward in the game. And I think par, pro, probably some of it's just to give people a taste of seeing what Sam Heward can do. And I think they will like, they would like to get him in the game, whether it's as the first guy off the bench or maybe getting him one or two series in the second half along with Patrick O'Brien. With the four game red shirt rule where you're able to play four games and not burn your red shirt. What do you think on that, Chris? Does, uh, if Patrick O'Brien is healthy, does Sam Heward get out there or not? I think Sam Heward will probably try to see some game time if in, in an ideal situation, he would get some, some, uh, some reps today, and then he would also get some reps against Arkansas State if they can do that. Um, you know, that leaves him a couple games in the Pac-12 to, to come in if if need be. But I really do think that once the Pac-12 season starts and you kind of get past that initial um, non-conference schedule, I would think that Patrick O'Brien would be the guy because you'd want to keep uh, Heward's red shirt on. But then again, you know, guys are leaving after three years. You, you can't really place as much emphasis on a red shirt as you used to. And Jake Browning played as a true freshman, played all four seasons. Now, granted, he was a starter from the from the get go. Um, but you know, what happens if Heward plays five or six games as a true freshman? Maybe that changes things. You know, the, it, it, I think this thing will still be very much in play at least halfway through the season that I can tell and, and wouldn't be surprised if they go either way with it. But yes, will he get reps uh, against Montana? I sure think so. Scott, staying on the offensive side of the ball, um, first year guys, how many first year guys on the offensive side of the ball would you expect to see on the field against Montana? Um, so are, we're talking guys who just signed letters. First year guys. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jabez Tanay. I th- or Tine, I think is going to be in there. I think you'll see him rotate in. Uh, part of that's just because of the wide receiver depth. And then I don't think you're going to see any of the linemen, um, Wersh or, or Owen Prentice. I don't think, uh, Caleb, uh, Jumper is, is ready to go. Uh, I don't think he's moved up enough to, to get in there. Um, yeah, probably just Jabez Tine. And, and Sam Heward and maybe I, I, you know what? I'm not even going to say maybe because I just don't think Caleb Berry's in a spot yet where, where he can, can be the guy to, to do that. I, I think we will see Quentin Moore, but he's, he's not a first year guy per se. I mean, he's a sophomore, but, or a redshirt freshman, but still. Too many, too many carries to be had in front of Caleb Berry when you've got yeah. Cam Davis, Richard Newton. You know, Kamari Pleasant, Sean McGrew, and, and JV on Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. And Sam Adams. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And all those guys, I think, would get carries in front of Barry. 
Absolutely. I think all of them would, yes. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, um, it's going to be interesting to me to see um, was it Arizona last year where Washington was way ahead and they put in the second unit and uh, all of a sudden Arizona went nuts and scored a bunch of points and made it a lot closer than it should have been? Yes. Well, they did also have all their starters in too, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you take a look at the defensive side of the ball and starting up front with the defensive linemen, um, I think that's going to be real interesting where I think that there are some guys in their third year in the program like a Jacob Bandis, uh, like a Tuatele. I think those are guys that I'm really going to keep my eye on and watch them step up. But talk to me a little bit, Scott, about the defensive line. Well, I mean, you've got uh, Tuli and Sam Taimani who, you know, are the starters. And um, what's interesting is, and Kim, like you said, you're going to keep an eye on um, Jacob Bandis and Fatui Tuatele. And what's going to be interesting is to see when Washington wants to stop the run, when they want to go with that jumbo set inside those three D linemen, who is it? Who is that third guy going to be? Because during fall camp and during spring ball, it was rotating between Bandis and Tuatele. And we even saw um, some uh, Void Tanufi and Quo Pehapa in there at times. Now, not very often, but – and the coaches have been really excited about what Pehapa brings to the table. So I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Kim, you asked me about first-year players playing on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, Kuo Pehapa is a guy who I think is definitely going to play enough this year in, or, in order to burn his red shirt. And I think you will see him t- uh, later today. And, Scott, just circled on your roster, which guys are you really, you know, anxious to keep an eye on, uh, you know, to you're intrigued with? Well, I want to see uh, Jackson Sermon uh, come out and be physical. He was physical during fall camp, but everybody thinks he sucks. And so I'm looking forward to him proving people wrong. And so I'm going to be keeping an eye on him. Also, I want to see Kyler Gordon. You know, he's he's the be- arguably the best athlete on the team, pound for pound, just a guy who is ridiculously gifted athletically. Trent McDuffie is a guy that – Teams aren't going to want to throw against. So how is Kyler Gordon going to handle the fact that he's going to get a majority of the looks on his side of the field? And can he handle bigger wide receivers? And I, I really think he, he should be the one that be, is able to handle those guys because he's about six foot, six three with his hair. And, you know, I, I just think he's a guy that, that, uh, could be a, a real playmaker for them. Another one that I want to see how he plays is Dominic Campton when he gets in there. Is he going to be a physical presence uh, that we all think he can be? Because if he is, I think by the by midseason, if he shows that he's got brings that physical style of play to the secondary, I think you see him get in for a lot more reps with the first unit than than he's uh, scheduled to get right now. And Chris, who who are you keeping your eye on on the defensive side of the ball? Well, obviously, you guys, you know, talked in depth about Bandis and Tuatele and, and just the, the depth on their stepping up and, and how much Rip Rowan's going to be able to kind of hockey shift these guys and, and keep them fresh and keep them getting upfield. Obviously, you know, the, the rotation at outside linebacker opposite Ryan Bowman, I think it's going to be really intriguing. I think they went with Cooper McDonald as a starter because they trust him. They, they, of all those guys, I think they expect him to get off on the, on the best footing in terms of just being the guy that will fit the runs and won't blow assignments and, and will, you know, be able to use what he can to get upfield. 
But I expect to see a lot of Jeremiah Martin. I expect to see a lot of Braylon Trice. I expect to see a lot of Savelle Smalls. Um, but the two guys I'm really focused on, really, to be honest, are MJ Tavisi. I know Scott mentioned Jackson Sermon. I'm really interested in how much they use Tavisi as that third middle linebacker inside, see how quickly he gets back into action and really gets back to the way he is. I know everyone's been pumping him up as a as a guy who's even better than when he was when he got injured at, at Arizona in 2019. But, you know, he told us flat out that, you know, he, he officially kind of finally trusted himself and knew he was fully back less than like two weeks ago when doing a, a nine-on-seven box drill, you know, with, with where he was able to fill a gap with the fullback and just take him on and was like, okay, I really feel like I'm fully back to normal. That I thought that was an interesting comment. So I'm focused on MJ Tafisi, and then I'm really focused on the two safeties. Um, we really thought that Cameron Williams and Asa Turner would be, you know, guys because of their starting experience, just because of their their veteran stuff in general, that they would have the inside edge. Alex Cook as well, but they've gone with Cameron Fabiculan and they've gone with Julius Irvin as their listed starters, and I'm really really interested to see how those guys respond in their first starts at Husky Stadium with a crowd, going nuts, opening game, the whole bit, want to see how they react. Two guys I'm really looking forward to seeing. Number one, just like Cam Davis, a guy that, you know, has just reaped a heap of praise from Jimmy Lake, and we quite haven't quite seen it yet, and that's Braylon Trice coming off the edge. So um, he was a highly touted guy coming out of high school and uh, was kind of quiet his freshman year, but he's a guy that Jimmy Lake has talked he's further along at this point in his career than Joe Tryon. So we haven't seen it yet on the field, so that's a guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing. And as we all know, you get in Husky Stadium and you get a guy coming off the edge, it can make that stadium electric. But the other guy that I'm really interested in, he's not listed as a starter, but I think he's the next big thing from DBU. I think Jacoby Covington's going to be special, and I know he's going to see the field. Really looking forward to seeing what Jacoby Covington does uh, when the live bullets are flying. And, you know, Scott, you, you've covered him out of recruiting, and you saw him at practice, but uh, is Jacoby Covington the next big thing? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think he's the, the next great defensive back to come out of the University of Washington. You know, you've got uh, – Trent McDuffie is going to get drafted probably next spring. And, and, uh, I think Kyler Gordon has a decent chance if he has a big year to, to get drafted next year. And, you know, <clears throat> Bookie Radley is probably going to be a guy who gets drafted next spring. So, you know, where, where does Washington turn? Well, I think Jacoby Covington, I, if Kyler Gordon stays, which I think it's better chances that he stays than leaves, man, that is going to be a big physical. Uh, corners for the University of Washington. You know, he's he's got everything that Keith Taylor had, except he might be better with the ball in the air, and he's definitely got better speed. And so, and not that Keith Taylor was slow, but he's just got better top end speed. He can turn and run a little bit better than Keith Taylor did, and and he is a special special talent and a guy I'm looking forward to seeing uh, play this year because we didn't see him last year. Well, as well as you know. Um... You know, Trent McDuffie, who a lot of people just say is fearless and comes out there and makes the tackles. That's one thing that really impresses me with Jacoby Covington is how physical he is. And then when you take a look at Kyler Gordon, you know, and what a tremendous athlete he is, a background as a dancer. Kyler Gordon is a lot more physical than I anticipated. But I think Jacoby Covington is as physical as defensive back as we've seen in the Jimmy Lake era. 
Yeah, and that wouldn't surprise me, and and that's saying a lot. Um, I I don't know if I'd completely put him up there as the most physical, but he's definitely in the top two or three. The way he's playing football right now, he brings that physical mentality, and I think that's one of the reasons why Washington, Oklahoma, and several other schools came after him so hard was because he had the big frame, had good ball skills, but he also loved to play that physical brand of football. And the guy he played across from was a guy by the name of Keely Ringo, who is a very physical corner as well down at Saguaro High School. And, you know, both of those guys just were ridiculous from the amount of, uh, you know, the way they played the game and, and how they were just able to get after guys outside. So, uh, you can see why Saguaro is so good down there in Arizona when they have guys like that outside. You know, talk to me, Chris, a little bit about those defensive backs because it just seems to never end with the quality and the depth that they have back there. And I think you'll see a lot of them playing uh, tomorrow, as you mentioned, um, with the um, safeties. Uh, I think they're going to rotate a lot of those guys in, too. I would expect so. And, I mean, we saw during some of the practices where they didn't even roll out a defensive uh, a, a corner. There was no Trent McDuffie. There was no Kyler Gordon. There was no... Uh, Covington, there was no Mish Powell. There was, you know, guys like Cam Fab, Cook, Turner, Irvin, Williams, uh, Bookie Radley, Hiles, Hampton. All those guys were playing out there. And so I think it just really gives Will Harris and Terrence Brown ultimate flexibility to do whatever they want. If they want to just go full power and they just do it like a jumbo thing, they can do that if they, if they want to. If they want to go more experienced and they want to use a guy like Turner and, and Williams. And I thought Cam Williams was a shoe in until he got a little banged up in fall camp. I thought he was a shoe in for one of the, for one of the starting safety spots. I thought he was just looking super, super impressive, which tells you all you need to know about what Julius Irvin did in fall camp to win that spot. I mean, he came up with some key interceptions. He did a lot of really, really good things. And now we're, we're really starting to see why. He was so coveted around the country and had offers from places like Alabama. Um, he's starting to really show that that quality in that class. Um, but it all really starts with those corners, doesn't it? I mean, McDuffie and Gordon could be the best corner duo in the in the conference, uh, but it does really rest on Kyler Gordon's shoulders, uh, interestingly enough, because I agree that McDuffie's not going to see much action, especially early on. Uh, I think this is where, you know, those those – those uh, offenses are going to want to try to test Kyler Gordon, see what he's got. And we all know how physical he is, and we all know how athletic he is. And we saw glimpses of it last year when he forced the fumble against Utah to to turn the tide in that game. And that was a huge, huge play. And so he's done it in games before, but now he's got to do it as a full-time starter. And that, I think, will be really, really fascinating. So that, combined with the two the two, the two safeties starting today in Fabiculon and in Irvin, I think there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of storylines there, but so much talent and so many different ways that Will Harris and Terrence Brown can go with this group. Is Michel Powell a guy that people are sleeping on? Is he kind of that guy that's flying under the radar that could surprise? Well, everyone was sleeping on him, Kim. I mean, he came to Washington as a walk-on. So that just kind of implies that no one thought he was good enough for a scholarship, let alone a walk-on opportunity. And, um, yeah, he came on and um, – it was interesting what Bob Gregory said this week when asked about some of the walk-on uh, inside linebackers, which includes one of uh, of the guys from O'Day, which w- would have been a teammate of Mish Powell. 
And, uh, you know, Bob Gregory says that Monty Kohler being the head coach at O'Day, you always listen to what he says because when he tells you he's got a guy, he almost never misses. Every single guy that has come from O'Day has panned out in one form or another uh, that's gone to UW in, in recent times. And that is certainly true of, of Mish Powell. And I think, in my opinion, you look at guys like Edifuan Ulafoshio, you look at uh, Jack Westover, you look at guys like Race Porter, another O'Day kid, uh, you look at some of the kids that have recently earned scholarships that started out as walk-ons. I think Mish Powell is the next candidate that has started out as a walk-on that could very well end up on scholarship uh, sooner rather than later. And, Scott, I think that when people think of Mish Powell, I think a lot of people think he's a small guy. He's not. He's a No, big, not at all. He's, he's a big, a big dude. Yeah, he's big. He's physical. You know, he and he and Jacoby Covington is those second and third uh, or the, the second team, you know, third and fourth corners. Man, they they bring a physicality to the game that the coaches just love, and and that's why Mish Powell all through spring when Trent McDuffie was sitting out through all the team team workouts, not because he was injured, just because they were giving him a rest. They they got Mish Powell in there, and he played well. So I think the coaches really like what he brings, and and like Chris said, I think he's a guy who will be on scholarship. It wouldn't surprise me if it happens before the end of this season, but if not, I think in spring next year we could easily see that happen. I, I think it's going to be real interesting uh, on the first kickoff to see who those guys are on the kick coverage team. I think that's going to be pretty interesting as, yeah. as well as the kick return team and just see who's out there because, I mean, from what we saw in uh, – in uh, fall camp, there was a lot of starters out there. Yeah, there was, and it's a lot of defensive backs and maybe one or two uh, linebackers, and that's about it. I mean, they just want speed. They want speed, speed, speed. And when Washington does their special team stuff, they're always working about working on guys staying in lanes and n- not being forced out of them, and and not allowing themselves to be pushed away and and everything like that. So, yeah, I, I you know, I I don't get I. Honestly, didn't really pay attention to it until probably 2018, 2019. I remember being up there with our interns in Counton, and I was like, out of the 11 guy, out of the 10 coverage guys that are out there, like eight of them are defensive backs. So I think Dominic Hampton is going to be a, a prime guy for the coverage units. I think that you're going to see um, uh, Cameron uh, Williams out there. You'll Jacoby see Jacoby Covington. Covington. You'll see, you'll see all those guys. I think Asa Turner might even be out there a little bit because of his speed and, and how he can run down the field and, and get down there and make a tackle. But, um, yeah. And then, you know, at, as far as the linebackers are concerned, MJ Tafisi, I think is a guy you'll see down there a lot and maybe even Drew Fowler. He's a guy who I saw quite a bit on some of the coverage units. So that's another walk on to keep an eye on. Eddie, uh, Ulafosio and Kyler Gordon. Both made their mark initially. That's how uh, they got out from being under the radar is on the special teams. Who might be that guy this year, Chris? Good question. I mean, I know you talk about a lot of defensive guys. I know in the past, you know, they've used some running backs as well. So would would it surprise me if a guy like Kamari Pleasant ended up on that group? No, not specifically. Uh, maybe even some of the receivers uh, as well, I'll, even though I know that that, that group is, is relatively thin right now. Um, you know, it, it's really hard to say. I mean, again, we talk a lot about a guy like Mish Powell. You know, maybe he, this is a situation where he, he starts to make his mark on special teams even more, uh, despite just being in the two deeps anyways and, and being a heartbeat away from being a starter. 
he might make a mark that way as well. So, yeah, I see that, and I agree with the safeties. I think all those guys could be out there for sure, and uh, wouldn't surprise me if, if some of those guys make their impacts as well. But I don't know if there's one guy that really stands out that, that looks to me like he's going to go out there and, and go nuts unless it happens to be one of those guys that isn't in the two deeps that we've been talking about in the fall that, you know, maybe like a McKellistein, for instance, or Elijah Jackson, or, you know, someone like that who, who might come out and make their mark that way, who isn't necessarily in the two deeps. That, so I, I give you a couple names there, but it could be a lot of different guys. We're going to take a quick break with, from a word from our sponsors. And when we return, big news on something returning to Husky Stadium as well as beer and wine sales and uh, game day. We'll touch bases on recruiting as well when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We are back. It's the guys from Dogman.com. I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Big, 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 big news. The return of the helmet car, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that one I, of your favorites? I certainly remember it. Um, my first thought when I saw the helmet car was where they're going to, where are they going to put it? Sidelines um, side are tight down there, man. Yeah. The sidelines are extremely tight. And then you take into account, you know, the game day stuff, you know, the, the, they usually have those those cars that they use with the cameras on the on the I don't know what you want to call them, but they they run along the back side of the sidelines behind the benches. Yeah. And so you know those those are taken up. So where do you put it? Do you put it in the corner? Do you put it out between Husky Stadium and the East Field up on that little ramp? Um, I, I just don't know where they're going to put it because back in the day when you had the track. It would just go up and down the track, and it was no big deal. The worst that could happen is they might run over a cheerleader accidentally or something. I, I don't know, but um, I just remember it when I was a kid, seeing it go back and forth and thought it was pretty cool. And then, obviously, halftime and before the game and after the game, it would do the loops around the track, and, and that was funny and, and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, it used to host the – it used to have the, the cheerleaders on it, and it was kind of a, a – for a kid, it was kind of a cute little sideline thing that you could focus on when you were done focusing on the football. Um, I, but yeah, where they're going to put it, I have no idea. I just think it's awesome that it's back. And like I posted on the message board, I want them to do a sooner schooner on the first touchdown today. <laughs> I want them to go absolutely no. crazy. No. I want them to take the penalty. <laughs> because I think it'll be so worth it because the people will freak out and it'll be a it'll be a memory that families will be able to talk about for a lifetime. I've been down on the sidelines with that damn car and when they used to run it up and down the track, I mean I don't they had students driving that thing and there were so many almost near misses with that thing. It was like 
They didn't know how to drive the thing, so that's my worst fear is that thing driving out after a touchdown and a 15-yard penalty getting called. So we'll see. My gut says that uh, maybe we'll see it before the game and after the game, but uh, hopefully that's about it. But I know that that helmet car brings back a lot of memories for a lot of people and has a special place in their hearts. But uh, I don't think it's really the helmet car. I think it's Jimmy Lake's personalized golf cart. I bet that there's a little compartment back there for Jimmy to keep his golf clubs on. And I want to see that thing out at Washington National with Jimmy Lake playing golf. I think that would be so cool. Yeah, if they had if they had one at Washington National, that would be pretty cool. I I do think that it is. If you're talking about who's going to drive it. It's not going to be a student driver. It would be Jimmy Lake. And I've seen him drive it. You know, they they've done videos on Twitter. F- of him driving it around on Husky Stadium on the field turf and he looks like he's he's pulling a Marshawn Lynch is what he's doing. That's what I want to see. I want to see a he's, player jump in it and go full blown Marshawn on it. Oh yeah. No 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 that that I'm sure that's gonna happen at some point. And and to be honest with you, that could be a new tradition too. Whoever the MVP of the game is, they get to drive it around the turf after the game. Scott, who's your most likely candidate to hijack the helmet car? You know, honestly, I'm trying to think of the Bookie Radley. Come on. <laughs> that guy is the biggest. Would you guys say arguably the biggest personality on that team? Oh, yeah. Right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's him. He he just strikes me as a guy who loves the game of football, who loves the interaction with the fans. And I think he would he would be the guy if Washington got a late win, hopefully that's not a late win this week uh, against Montana, but it's more like a, a late win against Cal or Oregon or something like that. And I could just see him after seeing and bow down to Washington with the with the student section, getting in it and riding around and just enjoying it. And while we're doing our post game, he's still riding around in that thing. Yeah, you, when sometimes we get former players back when they're on their bye week, the one guy I'd love to see go do it, and he would, and I just think it would be unreal. Caleb McGarry. Can you imagine yeah. Caleb going and hijacking that thing with his cowboy yeah, he'd, hat? He'd bump his head. <laughs> that, so. that helmet is low. Yeah, beer and wine sales open in Husky Stadium. That will be interesting to see as well as you will not be able to leave the stadium and come back in. It'll be interesting to see the reaction to that. I think that'll blow over pretty quickly, though. Uh, not many stadiums in the country allow that, but uh, you can't leave and come back. So that will be interesting as well as beer and wine sales throughout the stadium. I haven't had a talk, chance to talk to Jen yet, but um, I'm telling you right now, if you're going to depend on waiting in line to eat at Husky Stadium, you're going to get really frustrated. They can't find enough help to run, you know, restaurants and that. So finding concession workers, I think, you know, staffing is probably going to be an issue. I would expect there to be long lines. And if you can't go four hours without eating, I would strongly recommend that you eat before you get in that stadium because my gut says that those lines are going to be horrendous. It could be. I mean, I, I just know that back in the day, you know, obviously everyone had the in and out privileges, but I knew so many people that would meet up like around the tunnels and around the the back of the concourses on the south end, you know, how everything kind of spiraled up. They'd meet by those places and they'd, you know, hash out the game or what was going on. And so I I think there's going to be a lot more meetings now, like in the concourses, out by the back, you know, out to the sides and, and things like that. So I think people are going to find new ways to try to reconnect instead of having to go back out to their cars at halftime, which I think is honestly a good thing. It's a good thing for the game. I don't know if it's necessarily the, the best thing for the fans 
because they're going to have to get used to a new thing and that takes time and there's going to be some growing pains with that. I get it. But I think for the game in terms of having as many people back for third quarter as possible is a huge thing and it, and it needs to happen. And so I think ultimately this is the right, the right decision to make. Actually, you know, and I have always thought it was a huge security issue. So I, I can't remember any venue that I've been in since 9-11 that you're able to leave and come back in. Uh, you know, Mariners maybe back in the day when you could go outside and get a hot dog from the street vendors because they were better of what was inside. But um, you can't leave a Mariners game now and come back in. Uh, you can't do it with the Sounders. Uh, you can't do it with the Seahawks. So um surprised it took as long as it did. Also, you know, for those commuting over from the east side, the Montlake Bridge is back open. And, boy, that was just a real pain for those coming uh, from the east side to get over University of Washington with the Montlake Bridge closed. But uh, that is back open, so we can anticipate that. Um, Scott, recruiting, um, just touch bases. Uh, not a lot going on, but maybe a few things to touch bases on. Uh, Thursday night, uh, headed down to Emerald Ridge Sumner and um, saw Washington commit Denzel Boston uh, out there uh, running around. Uh, did uh, walk off very gingerly at the end of the first half and, and never really returned for the second half. But, uh, um, you know, I... Uh, Jimmy Lake and um, Junior Adams were on the sidelines. They were out there. I know that they were also at the Eastside Catholic and Kennedy game last night. So, um, and uh, Ikaika Malloy was there also, but he gets a free pass. He doesn't it doesn't count as an evaluation for him because his kid's there. So, um, you know, Washington coaches out on the road. Um, wouldn't surprise me if we hear about. I haven't I haven't been able to confirm where the, some of the other coaches might have been, but they only have a certain number of days they can go out and, and view recruits and a certain number of times they can do that. So they want to be strategic about when they go and, and do different things. But, um, you know, um, as far as recruiting is concerned, there's going to be kids on campus, uh, today for on the field, on the sidelines, uh, before the game, probably up in the stands as well, watching the game. Um, and you're going to see a few trickle in here and there. There, there's just not going to be a lot for the Montana and the uh, Arkansas State games. But then you will see quite a few, I believe, at the Cal game. We know that Hiro Kanu, the four-star high high four-star uh, defensive lineman that um, is is only playing his second year of high school football, second season of high school football out here in America. He is coming up from Santa Margarita Catholic. He's a former teammate of Maurice Himes down there at Santa Margarita Catholic. And um, he uh, is considering Washington. Now, he's got five official visits set up, but he told me himself if he likes his visit to Washington and wants to come back, he will drop one of those officials and schedule one with the Huskies. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But, um, yeah, I would – I would keep an eye on those kind of things. There's just not a lot going on. Washington's only got about five or six spots left in the class, and, you know, they're going to be real choosy about who they end up with. And one spot is being held and will be held all the way up until signing day for Josh Connerly, the top offensive lineman out west. I think he's number two or number three in the country, and um, he is a big-time, big-time player, and Washington is all over him. Scott Huff has turned his entire attention to, to him. And uh, that's 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 really the big name at this point that you need to keep an eye on. 
And Scott, you'll be on the sidelines uh, pregame, and there always seems to be a few surprises on the sidelines. So if you're looking for who is at the game on, you know, unofficial visits, Scott will be scouring the sidelines and seeing who's hit. Remember back in the day when uh, Tyrone's assistant came up to me and told me not to look at recruits because it was uncomfortable for them. Remember that? Yeah. And then, I, and then the next, and then the next week, none of them had name tags on. Remember that? Yeah, I also. Yeah, I was going to make some other comments, but we're just going to leave it at that. But, yeah, no, it's it's so dumb. I mean, especially when you have schools like in the Big Ten and the SEC that have reporters taking pictures of them on campus as they're waiting uh, <laughs> on the sidelines. And yeah. and they actually and they actually do interviews with them, too. And yeah. we, we get in trouble for even just looking at them. Shut up. Just go, really, <laughs> they don't do, you, they you don't do that things. anymore. No, they, they don't. They don't, but I mean, didn't you, is that really how you wanted to spend your time worrying about that? Give me a break. Tyrone did. Anyways, but uh, you'll be, you'll be posting those out on the game day board, correct? Well, well, Fetters probably will because we usually text him and he posts them. So yeah, but, uh, somebody will have those on the, not on the game. We do it on the game day board, but, um, we also do it on the, on the, um, recruiting board as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, wrapping this up, Chris, last minute thoughts before going into, 5 p.m. kickoff. Yeah, just really excited. I mean, I know there's a lot of fans that because of all the changes and because of the state and county guidelines for vaccinations, mask, mask mandates, all that kind of stuff, that it's, I think it's kind of turned off some fans, but I couldn't be more excited to get up there and I've got to work and I got to wear a mask and I got to do all that kind of stuff, but I'm, I'm going to grin and bear it because I love college football and I'm really excited to see what this team has to, to, to offer this year and, I think Jimmy Lake really does feel like this is kind of the, the first game again because this will be the first game where he's really coached in front of fans. And and so I think that, you know, 2020 for as many ups and downs as it was and it will be officially known as his first coaching season, I really think he's going to feel in his mind that the 2021 season's where it really all kicked off. And so can't wait to see what it has, what they have to show today and 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 how they react because things aren't necessarily going to always go great for them and how they react is going to be a huge part of how they move go move it going forward and and obviously everyone will wonder if they're looking forward past this game toward michigan i want to see how focused they are on beating montana first and foremost and uh, just excited to see how the schemes have evolved and improved under both john donovan offensively and then now defensively Bob Gregory moving on from Pete Kwiatkowski. So there's all sorts of storylines going into this game today. Can't wait to see how it unfolds. Wrap it up, Scott. Well, you know, I think the biggest thing for the Huskies is going to be getting out to a good start. I think there's going to be some jitters. I think you could see some false starts, maybe a hold here and there, or lining up incorrectly or things like that. Just get that out of their system and then really go to work take care of business, get out to a, you know, pretty sizable lead so that they can get some work in for some of those guys who haven't seen the field yet. I think that's the most exciting part of these early games, games you should win is that you get to see, you get to get a real look at some guys who haven't seen the field yet. And that's always been one of my favorite parts. As far as the rest, um, I agree with Chris a hundred percent. This is, it's going to be great to watch Jimmy Lake uh, be out there in front of Husky fans. Who knows how many fans are actually going to show up, uh, today and, and everything like that. But the ones who do show up, be loud, 
be happy and be excited that you get to watch football in person again after almost two years of not being able to do that. Just looking forward to being back inside Husky Stadium. Last year, I was able to get in, but uh, we were able to only be in the stands. So looking forward to being back on the sidelines and having some normal interactions uh, on the football field with, uh, you know, with what's going on with the football team and just really looking forward to well, we've been back in the grind for a while, but uh, game day is just a little bit different. Game is, starts at 5. What's the over-under, by the way, real quick? Let me get you guys over and under. What time we leave Husky Stadium tonight or tomorrow morning? My over-under is 11. Midnight is the true over-under because that's seven hours from kickoff, and so that's typically what we allow ourselves is seven hours, so that would be midnight would be the over-under. And it's well, the first first day, first game, first first time, all these things happening. There's going to be a lot to talk about, you know, regardless of the result. And, you know, the result could be, you know, we, everyone saw the predictions. It could be anywhere from I had 52-17, but I think, Kim, you had, what, 53-7 or something? I mean, you had a, you had a pretty big blowout. So, um, yeah, I mean, regardless of what the what the game score is going to be like, there's still going to be so much to talk about afterward. We will be out of there today. I know Scott will be trying to get out as early as he can, and I'll try to keep Absolutely. him there. Absolutely. I'm going to try to keep it. him there until 11:59. So we'll get out. Of, we will be out of there today. So um, unless something wild happens. So him, him. If there's lightning, I'm <laughs> not going to be happy with you. Well, I'm going get, home. I'll just write you a check. You'll be fine. I'll cover from home. I'll write your check. You'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, hey, uh, just a reminder, if you're looking for those daily updates as well as breaking news alerts, just shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. We'll get you hooked up. Again, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. We will get you hooked up. And for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eckland. Go dogs. <laughs>